Is the United Auto Workers Union right? Do electric vehicles threaten their jobs? Are today's auto workers, as so many have said so often, the buggy whip makers of the 21st century? Well, the union has the right, but for the wrong reasons. And we're going to talk about electric vehicles, EVs, again in this episode because, in part, the stakes were just so high, and in part because, as we go to press, the United Auto Union Workers, uh, United Auto Workers Union, is uh, on the verge of a strike that could be at a scale not seen in over a half century, and in part because of questions sent to me after my earlier podcast series on EVs. So, we're going to talk about EVs. But first, though. Given the kind of criticism that gets speciously leveled at those of us who try to illuminate energy realities, contrary to the energy transition thesis, I'm compelled to point out again that it's true. EVs are a big deal. Electric propulsion is finely useful and fun for a lot of people. And there are far more interesting applications for electric propulsion than are being talked about, which will be subjects for a future podcast. And so... Let's just stipulate there'll be millions more EVs in the world without subsidies. We don't need subsidies to encourage people to buy EVs. We don't need mandates. A lot of people like them. There's good reason for that. In fact, the market for EVs in America is probably going to be something like 30 to 50 million of the nearly 300 million vehicles registered in this country. That's a big deal. That's at least a 2,000% increase over the number of EVs on the road today in America. And nearly all of them will be in the high-end, profitable luxury category. So that kind of explains, in a nutshell, why automakers are so eager to capture more of that market share from Tesla. And as some of you may know, it bears noting that Tesla has over half of that market today in the United States. That is, half of the luxury market and more than two-thirds of the entire EV market is owned by one automaker, Tesla, hence the Tesla Bulls. But the luxury market is less than one-fifth of the U.S. car market. And the issue here is not the claim that there are going to be more EVs, but the claim that all cars will be or must be EVs in the immediate future. I've covered this subject in uh, a previous four-part podcast series on EVs. So if you you haven't listened to that, well, it's time to listen to it. You should should listen to it. I'm not going to uh, revisit the ground. Instead, the topic for this episode is a core claim that's uh, being made and was made and continues to be made, that EVs are the next inevitable migration for personal mobility because they're simpler and better. And that's that's what's disrupting the auto industry, or so the claim goes. And the auto industry is being disrupted, but not by technology. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that that's that's the conventional wisdom. It's practically a mantra. You know, the electric cars are just plain simpler vehicles, EVs, we're told are less complex machines, fewer moving parts, and so on. So that means EVs are easier to make and therefore lead to fewer jobs. Hence the worries of the auto workers unions. There's no other way to say this, but that claim is a canard. The claim reflects a profound misunderstanding of the underlying technologies and the nature of the automobile ecosystems. I'll unbundle the specifics of these misunderstandings in a minute, but first this new mantra that EVs are simpler better machines is what underpins the misguided policies that are intended to force disruption on the auto industry. Not a natural disruption, a forced disruption. It's no exaggeration to say that the current and planned government interventions and subsidies 
in the automobile industries constitutes industrial policymaking, spending, and diktats on a scale never before witnessed in America outside of wartime. It is a trend that's indeed unfavorable to American workers, whether they unionize or not. There's no time in modern history has the government committed to spend so much money, enacted so many mandates and barriers, directed a single product or goal as is now in play for your personal car and how it's fueled. And we're talking about thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of billions of dollars of spending to be directed at forcing a transition to EVs. Vehicles, of course, that are supposed to be fueled by windmills and solar panels. Most people don't know this, but the energy subsidies in the Orwellian named Inflation Reduction Act will continue without a limit, including especially subsidies for batteries. I mean, this is really quite remarkable, I have to say. To put this kind of spending into, into context, NASA's new program to get back to the moon has a budget that doesn't even 5% of the gusher of cash flooding into the automobile and energy markets. Yeah, yes, yes, I know. I'm I'm aware of the motivation for all the spending. I mean, to stop society from using hydrocarbons and burning hydrocarbons that emit CO2, carbon dioxide. Set aside whatever you think about climate change claims. It doesn't matter what you think about that subject in order to answer the question of whether or not EVs will significantly reduce carbon dioxide emissions or as we'll get to whether EVs are inherently simpler. The question about Climate is a question of science, obviously, and guessing the science is and relevance to the impact in the far future. But a question of honestly accounting for the energy and emissions associated with materials and activities in the supply chains needed to make EVs, it's not a science question. That's just, again, an accounting question. And trust me uh, when I say that the facts show that at best, the carbon dioxide emissions that are associated with using using EVs are minimal compared to conventional cars. In fact, as I outlined in some detail in the previous four-part series, series, realistic scenarios for how the materials are sourced and produced uh, can lead to EVs emitting just as much or even more CO2 than conventional cars. This is a problem because <laughs> the entire motivation for spending in the mandates on EVs is in the specious claim that it will lead to radical reductions in CO2 emissions. There's no evidence for that. In fact, the evidence suggests otherwise. But EV advocates who are, in my experience, gen generally undaunted by realities, uh, continue to make that specious claim about emissions that's going to cause radical reductions. And also claim that the subsidies and mandates, you know, laws that will make it illegal to purchase a new conventional vehicle within the next decade, that those mandates merely accelerate an inevitable transition to EVs because, again, EVs are, they claim, fundamentally simpler vehicles than the complex mechanicals of internal combustion engines. So we're going to unbundle this myth of EVs inherently simpler machines, but there, there's one sort of simple uh, sanity check that you can make on whether this is technologically true or arithmetically true. And that would be just to look at how many people are employed. By automakers. I mean, it's sort of a first order test. And keep in mind, uh, we're being told, and arguably with some truth to this claim, that Elon Musk and his famous Tesla are inherently more innovative and more fleet of foot and more efficient and so on than the, you know, the state old, century old General Motors, the name one. So chew on these couple of facts, this fact sets. 
So old GM today employs about 170,000 people and produces about 6 million cars a year. I can do arithmetic here. That pencils out to needing about three employees for every 100 cars produced. Ford's ratio is closer to four, but so just let's stick with the three. Three or four employees for every 100 cars, conventional cars produced. So Tesla, again, you can check these facts on the magic Google machine. Tesla employs about 130,000 people and produces about a million and a half cars a year. So you do the math here. That's about 10 employees to build every 100 cars. That's three times more labor than General Motors. That's the inverse of the claim that the simpler machines mean fewer employees. And yeah, I know the Tesla-Rati know and claim the company uh, also produces other things. They make solar modules and battery power walls, so we should count those people. Sure, but that's only, it's not even 10% of the business. So you can um, derate the number I just gave you from 10 employees to build 100 cars to nine. So nine employees to make 100 cars at Tesla, a three to make 100 cars at GM. I mean, the auto, the United Auto Workers Union ought to be lobbying to have more more EVs, not if just given those facts. So you might you might be wondering, you know, what what's going on? I mean, those are the numbers. Because I said you can you can look them up on what uh, on how many people are employed and how many cars are produced. It's just yes, it includes all people. You know, back office. It includes the uh, accountants, but that's true for both companies. That's just, those are the, the macro numbers. So what's going on? Uh, well, at, again, at the core, the claim that EVs are simpler just isn't true. They aren't, they aren't simpler. They're just, they're just differently complicated. Uh, or to put it differently, there's a, a, a complexity swap. Yes, as is said so often, the EVs propulsion system, the electric motor is a simple machine usually with only one or two moving parts. A conventional turtle combustion engine is a thermomechanical machine with hundreds, sometimes a thousand parts. But here's the swap. The conventional car has a fuel storage system that's really simple, a steel tank, the single moving part electric motor to pump the fuel. The EV's fuel tank, on the other hand, the battery, it's a half ton electrochemical machine with thousands of parts and welds and wiring, complex power electronics to control the power flows and ensure safety in a complex cooling system. At a high level of abstraction, the, the EV's battery sounds just like an internal combustion engine. It's every bit as complex. It's far more expensive, in fact, than the mechanical drivetrain it replaces. And the data show that overall, it requires more labor, not less, to produce them when you count the entire assembly and the entire ecosystem. For example, let's look at Tesla's Gigafactory, their massive battery factory in Nevada, which has been in the news for a long time. And of course, Tesla's building Gigafactories elsewhere. Lots of people are building Gigafactories, but let's just use that the mothership, the Gigafactory in Nevada. It's been lauded as a automated masterpiece, but let's think about its labor efficiency. That factory produces about a thousand propulsion batteries, car batteries per year per 12 employees. All right, sounds okay, except you can go to public data and look at the engine and transmission factories for conventional vehicles. And what you'll find out, the data shows that a thousand mechanical propulsion systems are produced per year with four people. 
you heard what I said, right? The battery system, thousand propulsion batteries, twelve people per you know, producing a thousand per year. Four in the mechanical one. The fuel and propulsion systems for an EV, they're they're not simpler. Again, the complexities are inversed from the internal combustion engine. Similarly, you got a um, the claim that the simple things have lower maintenance because they don't wear out. It's true. Electric motors last a long time. Complex engines wear out. It's also true. Complex batteries wear out. So in a complex engine, aside from catastrophic failures from poor quality control, you know, a crankshaft breaks, right? Aside from that, engine wear is essentially a microscopic phenomena caused by stresses and friction. Well, the same thing is true about the complex electrochemical battery. Again, aside from catastrophic failures from poor manufacturing quality control, which leads to causing lithium batteries to self-immolate in spectacular fires. Probably you've seen these videos on YouTube or TikTok. The main challenge with complex batteries is similarly microscopic wear and tear at the molecular level caused by the electrical charges, which are in the form of huge ions being shuttled and pushed around because charging up a battery means you're moving, you're actually moving something. It's not, it's not magic. It's the shuttling around, the moving at the microscopic level of big fat ions that have electrical charge. You move them from one side, cathode to anode, anode to cathode. That's how the electricity is stored. And most analysts assume that the battery pack will last the lifetime of an EV. That, in other words, it'll take 10 years to wear out. But just like an internal combustion engine, if you stress it, it'll wear out prematurely. The lifespan of a battery pack depends on how a consumer chooses to charge the battery, whether it's fast, the superchargers, or overnight slow. Just the slow charging is low stress. The overnight charging is high stress because you're pushing the ions harder and faster. And it is well-known, in fact, well-documented that widespread or regular use of fast charging, stressing the battery, it's like stressing an engine, causes premature failure or wearing out of the battery. But I think it can cut the battery's life in half. Again, uh, what we have here is a complexity swap. The complexities that lead to wear and tear for a conventional car are found with the combustion engine of the fuel tank and the complexities that lead to wear and tear for an EV are not found with the propulsion system, but in the complex battery, the fuel tank, just the swap. Similar kind of swap of not only the complexities of manufacturing, but also the complexities of, of wear. And there's another complexity swap, the control systems. All, all transportation systems have to be controlled, right? You have to be able to operate them safely, choose the speed you want to go. And that's called control. Thermal mechanical engines and drivetrains, they're primarily controlled by mechanical linkages, physical fluid flows and hydraulics, throttles, and to an increasing de degree these days, there's some power electronics to control those mechanical things. But that's, it's relatively simple to control thermal mechanical things uh, through mechanical throttles and linkages. For the electric vehicle, that's a power self-evidently is in the form of electricity. And doing that at the same power levels as a gasoline vehicle means that you are using not mechanical controls, you're now using electronic controls, electrical controls. It's just same reason, same same ideas, except now you're using 
high power electronics, which are expensive, and computers and microcontrollers. The electric vehicle drivetrain, uh, making an EV requires more than double, uh, in most cases, uh, tripling in the purchase and use of complex and expensive power electronic components and microcontrollers. Perfectly reasonable thing to do. Those components are getting better all the time. Uh, but that means that the EVs require far more software than conventional vehicles. I'm a software bull. I fully expect that that feature to get better, more reliable over time. But for now, it's worth noting that software problems top the list of reliability issues for EVs. Engineers will get there. They'll make the power electronics and software better. That will happen just like conventional powertrains got more reliable and better over time. They'll both happen. But again, they're both complex. They're just differently complex. And coming back to the United Auto Workers and the claims of fewer jobs with EV production, and which is the claim of you see written all the time. UAW is not so much saying that directly, though they, they have a paper in which they published you know, their analysis of, of the electric vehicle uh, transition that pointing out that EVs overall require less labor, citing uh, some studies and claims. They're just, as you probably figured out from what I'm saying right now, they're just wrong. And the studies that say that are just wrong. You have to, depends where you count the boundaries for where the labor is. They're right about where the labor is. And that's that gets to the nub of it. It's true that assembling EVs in America will entail fewer jobs. That's because so many of the other jobs associated with EV, making electric motors, making the components for the batteries, the chemicals for the batteries, they're done elsewhere, not here in America, much of it in Asia. And when it comes to the battery chemicals, which require very complex uh, refining systems, most of that is done in China. China has a market share, as I've said in previous podcasts, that's somewhere between 50 and 90% of uh, global production of the essential battery chemicals and materials that are used by all EV battery makers to manufacture and assemble EVs. So most of the EV plans contemplated and funded by subsidies and mandates are the equivalent, you can put it in, in a sort of simplistic way, of assembling conventional cars here, but importing all the engines and drivetrains or all the components for all the engines and drivetrains instead of manufacturing them here. So yeah, uh, it does involve fewer jobs because there are fewer jobs here, not fewer jobs in total to make the vehicle. In fact, here's here's another uh, example of a Google checkable, <laughs> for such a word, fact to think about. Uh, since the EV's battery is sort of the complexity equivalent of the conventional car's engine and drivetrain, so we note again that the Tesla production factory, if you look at again at the Gigafactory, just for the battery, there's about 3,000 employees making enough batteries for about a quarter million Teslas. Again, uh, do the arithmetic on that, that's about 12 employees for every thousand fuel tanks, batteries. If you look at public data for conventional car transmissions and engines, not the whole car, it's the component. Uh, it takes about four people to produce a thousand conventional transmissions and engines. So again, fewer people, uh, not to make the conventional vehicle, not more. Uh, the narrative has it backwards. You can probably see a pattern here. And so at this point in the game, the complexity swap, it's not that we're seeing a reduction in labor hours per vehicle. It just moves the labor hours to different components. And sometimes, of course, to the different parts of the world where the critical components or subcomponents are made. There's another complexity swap to think about. Uh, this is in the uh, fabrication fuel chain, if you like. The conventional car is a, by weight about 80% iron and steel. 
Iron is very simple to acquire. Steel is very simple to make, relatively speaking. And furthermore, the U.S. Uh, produces about 75% of the steel it uses. So most of the jobs are here. They're pretty straightforward from a labor uh, per vehicle perspective. Whereas the EV requires 300% to 7,000% increase in the suite of energy minerals, metals like minerals like copper, nickel, lithium, and graphite. It's relevant to complexity theme we're talking about. Mining and refining those energy minerals is far more complex and more difficult because those metals and minerals are geologically far less common, far more difficult to get out of the rock. And they're in places that are rather inconvenient. That complexity increases labor. And most of that labor is also elsewhere. And in fact, again, from a viewpoint of exporting labor, uh, somewhere between 50% and 100% of the suite of energy minerals needed to build EVs are imported. Remember what I just said about steel and iron. Um, that's where America produces pretty pretty close to 75% of what it uses. Here's another complexity swap. I'm going to beat this complexity uh, and simplicity trope to death in this podcast. This one is, is uh, with respect to the infrastructure needed to make it practical for consumers to fuel their vehicles. The gasoline infrastructure is, by any measure, very simple. Big steel tanks, steel pipelines, trucks carrying steel tanks, and some low-power pumps to pump the liquid out of the steel tank into another steel tank. This is very simple stuff. Uh, very inexpensive, but again, we're, since we're talking about complexity, not complex. The electrical infrastructure at the same energy and power levels is far more complex in terms of wires and transformers, long distance uh, control systems, power electronics. In fact, the sophisticated supervisory control systems for power control and distribution looks, if you ever, I have been in, probably very few, very few people listening have ever been in a control system for a uh, long distance power distribution controls at the, at what's called the ISO, the independent system operators. These these are huge, uh, secure facilities. Some of them are underground. And uh, it looks like a scene out of Star Wars. I mean, these are really sophisticated, complex systems to move energy around at uh, society levels using electricity. I I know it sounds simpler to, uh, to move energy in the form of electricity than it does as liquids, you know, but it's not. It actually constitutes a degradation in infrastructure simplicity and an increase in cost for delivering energy. It is counterintuitive, but moving large quantities of energy is more expensive electrically than it is with liquids and gases. The reason society uses electricity is because by and large, we use electricity to do things that you can't do by with combustion. For example, illuminate efficiently with LEDs or make a computer work or make lasers work for eye search or make air conditioners operate. The list of things we can do with electricity that are difficult or impossible to do with combustion is very, very long. Hence the economic benefit of electricity. But if the goal is simply large amounts of energy designed to deliver power or heat, delivering energy in that form electrically is not only a little more expensive, the delivery cost, not the production cost, the delivery cost of transporting a unit of energy as electricity is 20-fold more expensive than the delivery cost of transporting the same quantity of energy as, say, oil or gasoline in a pipeline. That's a huge gap. And you can't close that gap 
by the fact that electric motors are more efficient than internal combustion engines. At best, you can you know close that gap in half uh, or a little more, but then your cost of energy transport is merely tenfold more expensive and more complex than sticking with pipes and tanks and liquids. The real complexity swap, increase in complexity happens at the fueling or charging station itself. So let's just stipulate that for homeowners with a garage and who own two or more cars and who can tolerate taking an overnight to refuel an EV, that is very simple, relatively speaking, and can be very convenient. And that's hence my uh, opening statement that I think uh, there's a market in the United States for 30 to 50 million uh, EVs that can be conveniently and simply charged at home. Just plug it in overnight and, you know, you get you, know, you get the, the convenience of never having to go to a gasoline station. It's very nice. But there's an interesting uh, non-trivial complexity swap here, uh, coming back to what I just said about the costs and challenges in moving large quantities of energy electrically instead of in liquid form. The transformers in the local distribution loop in your neighborhood, uh, they'll have to be upgraded because the overnight charger uh, uses more power. Its power levels are somewhere between two to threefold higher than a typical house, which means that if everybody in your neighborhood does the same thing as you, then what you've done is done the equivalent of double or triple the number of homes in that neighborhood for electrical engineers. That means that the transformers on those poles can't handle the power without destructive failure, including you know, explosive fires. So you have to replace the transformers with heavier transformers. It gets a little complicated though, because the heavier transformers require upgrading the telephone poles themselves because those poles are designed for specific weights to be uh, safe and not, you know, not <laughs> hold the weight and not be blown over in storms. And then as that power demand moves upstream, you need different and bigger substations with bigger transformers as well, which all doable. It's just it's just money. The point is the complexity keeps rolling upstream, and this doesn't count getting getting the energy in the first place. It makes no difference whether the electricity is produced in a coal plant, a gas plant, or a wind turbine. The complexities and the economics of delivering energy at scale to the endpoint are just the same. And, and while you're trying, while we're talking about refueling and the refueling complexities, uh, the real uh, rubber meets the road, so to speak. If you want to do on-road refueling, if we're trying to convince everybody to be in an EV, it means there's going to have to be lots of on-road refuelers, which means you need superchargers. Superchargers is the euphemism to talk about taking the power level in electrical terms up a factor of 10 to 100 so that you can refuel your vehicle in uh, 20 to 40 minutes instead of, instead of overnight. Also, I should note, instead of the three to four minutes it takes for a conventional vehicle, those power levels of super for superchargers translates into a very a thorny problem that is not is not being addressed and leads to we'll call it economic complexity if you like as well as physical complexity. A typical on-road um, fueling station, you know, with a with a sort of Seven Eleven kind of you know Circle K or whatever they the convenience store, that kind of fuel station uses the amount of electricity of a 7-Eleven, literally, that's what that uses. If you convert that refueling site to a supercharger site, the electrical power demands of that location to service the same number of vehicles 
or rise to a, sta a stadium or a steel mill or even an entire small town just for one fueling station. The infrastructure just simply doesn't exist for that. It will require a, beat this word to death, a very complex um, challenge in just the regulatory environment alone, never mind in the engineering side, to build out the distribution and transmission system to handle that level of power to refuel most vehicles. And finally, the last sort of complexity swap issue is the underlying motivation for the EV mandates in the first place, mandates and subsidies, which is counting carbon dioxide emissions. Now I covered this in some detail in my earlier four-part series that I mentioned at the top of this podcast. Uh, the emissions issue is the only reason the governments are telling you that they're subsidizing EVs, the CO2 emissions issue, and will be mandating and requiring you to own only EVs in the future. It's all about emissions, not your convenience. It's about emissions. So we know something about carbon dioxide emissions when it comes to conventional vehicles. It's really simple to know what the emissions are from a conventional vehicle. It is really, really simple. You just count the gallons of gasoline bought and burned. That's it. That's all you need to know. There's, that's it. And it, it's easy to track, simple to find out. And you personally know it. And you guarantee the government knows it because you pay tax on the, every gallon you buy. So simple. For an EV, knowing the actual emissions is very complicated and opaque. Again, cover this in a lot of detail in my four-part series, but I'll let me let me summarize it. Summarize it. It starts with the, the fact that you have to know exactly when and where you actually charge that battery because the electricity produced at that moment is what you are in fact using. Sometimes the electricity at that moment comes from, say, all hydropower if you happen to live in the Northwest or maybe even all wind and solar at certain times of the day in California or Iowa. And sometimes it's just natural gas and other times it's mostly coal, certainly in China. At night, it's almost all coal charging up that vehicle. So it gets very complicated to know the actual emissions associated with the fueling the vehicle. And the complexities rise from there. The complexities that are really the most opaque are in the emissions associated with the energy used to obtain the minerals and metals to manufacture the battery in the first place. Those emissions uh, can be significant enough to not only double, but triple or quadruple the emissions associated with charging the EV, or put differently, the emissions associated with getting the minerals and materials needed to make the battery for the vehicle can be enough to result in the EV arriving in your driveway, having emitted as much CO2 as the car that you're replacing that burned gasoline over its entire lifespan. It's a very complex industrial ecosystem. No one knows exactly what those numbers are, but we know what they are. We know they vary. And again, we know that it's not simple. And there's no easy way to make it simple. There is no inherent simplicity to gauging, measuring, or counting the carbon dioxide emissions associated with electric vehicles. It's complicated. But with the quantities of cash that are sloshing around the energy and automotive, automotive domains these days, you can't blame the unions for trying to get a piece of all that. And therein lies the moral hazard faced not just by the unions, but all the other businesses in the direct and indirect line of fire from the government's mandates and spending associated with the energy infrastructures and especially with transportation. 
Now, whether or not governments are good at such mega industrial policymaking, and I bet you, you can probably guess my opinion on whether the governments are good at that. That's the topic for another day, for another episode. My key point here with this was to make it obvious that the mantra, the claim that EVs are inherently simpler, is just not true. Let me end uh, on a note of quasi-optimism, given the title of my podcast. Since the automobile is so important to so many Americans and Europeans and people around the world, I mean, in the United States, over 90% of citizens of driving age have a car. That's really quite remarkable. And since it's the single most expensive product that 98% of Americans will ever buy, I am optimistic that the citizenry will bring an end. And this has nothing to do with politics. We're talking, we're talking 90%. We're talking all political persuasions. I'm optimistic that uh, people will eventually bring an end to the policymakers' ability to damage uh, the efficient and economically sensible operation of such an important part of modern civilization, which is our personal mobility. So I think I think we'll get there. I think we're going to spend a lot of money fruitlessly trying to find out the obvious that EVs aren't for everybody, but there will be lots of EVs, but it will end up becoming maybe in the end it won't be the complexities or the complexity realities that will kill off the subsidies and mandates, but maybe the fairness issue and the economics of it. It's just not fair because these things are expensive or remain expensive and are inconvenient. And inconvenience is a synonym for consuming my time, which is another form of spending. The government's forcing me to spend my time, you to spend your time doing things in a way that takes more time, which has an implicit economic cost. So, I think that will end. I don't think it'll end soon. So with that, uh, we're done trying to drive a stake through the heart of the hoary claim of inherent EV simplicity. If you're enjoying these podcasts, as I've said many times, comment, rate, you know where and how. Obviously, those of us who do this, <laughs> these podcasts prefer you give us good ratings. But if you have questions or objections, uh, just like I got an objection about the simplicity and complexity, Send me an email, send me a text. You can find me on the web. You can find me on platforms. You can find me at tech-pundit.com. So feel free to object, comment, ask questions. And until next time, this is Mark Mills signing off for The Last Optimist. Optimist.